Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. In the meantime, Mr. Wheeler came back from his tea break and you know wondered where Mr. Blomfield was. Went out the back into the alcove and found him lying with his head towards the safe. And he thought that he'd just fallen over, maybe he tripped over something. And but he noticed all the blood coming out and he realised that he had been attacked. Hi, I'm Jesse Mulligan. This week on Crimes NZ, we have a real whodunit. In 1931, Auckland pharmacist Arthur Blomfield was bludgeoned to death at Mackay's Dispensary on Wellesley Street. One of New Zealand's best-known true crime writers, Scott Bainbridge, has looked back at this case and into who could be the murderer. Well, Arthur Blomfield, he was age 75 and he he was quite well known in Auckland medical circles. Um, he had... He was probably the, um, well, he was New Zealand's oldest pharmacist in 1931. And um, prior to uh, opening up his dispensary in, in Mackay's, he actually had a number of, he had a string of, of pharmacies around Auckland. And prior to that, um, he spent majority of his um, younger years over in Sydney, where he built up and, and ran Sydney's largest pharmacy. So um, sort of throughout his career he downgraded um, he owned a string, as I say, he owned a string of pharmacies around Auckland and then um, at, the, at the age of 70 he thought he'd better start taking it easy and just um, restricted it to one and took over the lease of McKay's which is um, perfectly situated in Wellesley Street in the Pacific Buildings so you know he was uh, catered to, to, the, to the workers of, of Auckland because it was right on the corner of Queen Street and Wellesley Street and, um, yeah, I described him as elderly. I mean, 75 in 1931 is a bit different to 75 in 2022, right? He would have been yeah, quite an old person. Yeah, but he was he was reasonably fit, and um, he had represented, um, when he moved to Australia, he had represented Australia in swimming competitions. Um, he was right into his, his uh, boats. He, he had a, um, a launch himself in Auckland. And he was the president of the, um, or the captain of the Rob Roy Canoe Club. And so he was still out, you know, doing, out on the water, um, even at, you know, at that age, at 75. So okay. he was in perfect health. Mm. Fit, fit, and still working. He worked at McKay's yep. Dispensary uh, with a junior, Mr. Wheeler. And mm-hmm. what happened on Friday, the 30th of October, 1931? Well, it was. I'm saying that the that um, the attack was was would have been uh, wasn't spontaneous that it was pre-planned because Mr. Wheelie the Mr. Wheelie the assistant had just popped out for his tea break at quarter to five, and everybody all the workers started leaving work at at five o'clock. But just prior to um, just prior to five o'clock, a man entered the store, and um, and it was thought that he was after the the, the till. Um, certainly not long after five o'clock, a customer, Mr Pollock, entered the store and 
noticed that there was nobody behind the the counter, so we sat down at the in the waiting area, which was just a small store. And then a man came out and said, "Oh, have you been waiting here long?" And and Mr. Pollock said, "No, I've only just got here." And he said, "Well." Um, he, referring to Mr. Blomfield, he'll be out in about five minutes. And so the man exited the store, and um, in the meantime, Mr. Wheeler came back from his tea break and you know, wondered where Mr. Blomfield was, went out the back into the alcove and found, um, found him lying with his head towards the safe. And he thought that he'd just fallen over, maybe mm. he'd tripped over something, and but he noticed all the blood coming out and he realised that he had been attacked. And certainly when he came back out to the counter, uh, the till was on the floor and, and there were a few coins scattered here and there, but the bulk of the money was missing. And, and was Mr. Blomfield still alive at that point? <laughs> Uh, no, he was teetering on the brink, and when the police and the ambulance were, um, or the, the, the medical people were, were did arrive there, um, he was in a bit of a, uh, a lucid state, and he was sort of shouting out, no, George, don't do it, or, or, or they thought it was either George or Joe, so it looked, sounded like he was trying to, you know, tell somebody to go away and he was flailing his arms around and then that's when he lapsed into proper con- unconsciousness and he died about six, six hours later and um, yeah pretty sad 16 wounds to his head uh, lots of brain injuries and I imagine much less that Auckland Hospital could do back in those days than they might be able to do now what, do we know what he was mm. murdered with? Um, look, it was it was either a hammer or a car spanner. It was something heavy, and certainly uh, when I look at the injuries, which you know are available in the archived file, and and he was, you know, to say that he was bludgeoned to death is is a bit of an understatement. So he was beaten severely. That you know the, the injuries that he received, you know, were non. Yeah, you just wouldn't survive. It was it was just a ferocious beating, and that's what made the headlines too because. You know, in 1931, we're talking about the Depression and um, money was hard to come by. And there were, yes, there were a lot of robberies committed, but people tended to do them without too much violence because, you know, these are in the days where, you know, a murder was, you know, an execution. You got hanged for, for such a crime. So, but this was a frenzied attack. And, yeah, it's it's hard to say whether it was it was meant to be uh, a murder or or whether he just the, the killer just wanted to, to beat him into into submission. Yeah, we've unfortunately got pretty sensitised to violent murders, but I imagine this was a huge story in 1931. It made it made headlines. I covered the Elsie Walker death and also the 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 arrest of um, Bill Bailey for the Lakey murder a couple of years later. And because the Blomfield murder went unsolved, um, there, there was talk that maybe Bill Bailey was responsible, and that's the, sort of that's the first ever indication in New Zealand history of a serial killer. So the term serial killer didn't come into being until about the 1960s or 70s. But um, with with Blomfield's death, and there was also the, uh, a murder of a. a of a taxi driver a couple of years later, um, they all, you know, the papers all tried to link the fact that they were unsolved to Bill Bailey. When, um, yes, Bill Bailey may have been in Auckland at the time, but um, there was no proof pointing uh, him to that crime. So, from what you can work out, the killer planned this in that he he waited for when Arthur Blomfield was going to be alone. Um, mm. And what else can we sort of work out from the circumstantial evidence about what happened and when? Well, it was it was pretty brazen the robbery because I mean he came in just before five and, and sort of five o'clock, 
you know, it was when everybody was leaving the offices to, to rush home, and, and certainly Mr Pollock was one of those who was, you know, left work at five and he was at the dispensary at 5.03. So the, 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 the killer ran the risk of um, of being seen or, or even yeah. caught, but, um, you know, he, he didn't. And, in fact, Mr Pollock, well, there was blood throughout the the, uh, the alcove in the dispensary, so the police believed that the killer would have had a fair bit of blood splatters on him on himself. But Mr. Pollock certainly didn't see anything, and in the well, who he believed was the killer that exited the store talked very calmly, um, certainly didn't give anything away, and um, nobody in the uh, nobody in the streets were, um, you know had picked up on any person yeah. with bloodstains. But the interesting fact, there was a clue left behind. So before Mr Wheeler left the, sh- left the store, um, he left a briefcase on the counter, and when he returned and he saw Mr Blomfield lying sprawled on the floor, the suitcase was was on the top of the safe and it was open, and there was a, a fish and chip package on the inside the, the briefcase. So yeah. it was thought that the yeah. that the killer had bought his fish and chips and then come in and thought that he'd robbed the safe and then put the you know the fish and chips and the um and the money in the um in the in the suitcase. But because of what happened, he pay, may have panicked and and obviously left without his fish and chips. So the the police did go to the fish and chip shop, uh, which was about two doors down, and they gave a very vague description of. Of a man, sort of a young man, aged between about twenty-two to twenty-five, with with short brown hair, um, about five foot five foot five, I think. But um, you know that that described half the young fellows in Auckland. Yeah, so, yeah, they really yeah. didn't seem like they had many leads at all. No, no, and and you know certainly this guy would have di- you know disappeared within the throng of all the people leaving work. Um, any witnesses or any other kind of stories that the police could uh, follow up on? No, and they they did, you know, spend a fair bit of time and publicity and asking people to come forward who were in the area at the time, but but no one did. There was one chap who came forward a few few weeks later to say that he was at a pub in Auckland and he overheard two other chaps talk, and uh, and, and they were saying that they had they were well, I don't know whether they were boasting, but they certainly said that they they had taken out a loan with Mr. Blomfield. And they didn't have the resources to pay him back, so they were going to go back to the store to see if he could. They could arrange a deal, and Mr. Blomfield allegedly said no, no deal, and they they beat him to death. But um, you know that 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 um, sighting or that that witness sighting alone made quite a few headlines. But um, they they couldn't track down who made those comments. So pretty quiet then trying to find this killer and then a month later something happens which may be connected yeah and this is a, 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 a real bizarre story so a month later um, a, a chap went in with a, a a heavy bar wrapped in newspaper into the BNZ Remuera branch at lunchtime and uh, I mean he chose that time because there, there was only one teller there and that was the assistant manager Mr Young's and he produced a, a letter for Mr Young's to read, and Mr Young's read, started reading the letter, and out of the corner of his eye saw this chap, the customer, raise his arm, and, and as he looked up, this iron bar came smashing down on his head, and Mr Young's was propelled back. And um, the, the, the thing that, well, I found quite amazing was out of, out of his pocket, Mr Young's, the, the assistant manager, pulls out a small revolver, which he was carrying, and... Um, and shot twice at the at the would be robber, <laughs> and, and that was that was amazing because um, you know I had no idea that 
that you know bank staff you know had access or were, were allowed to use guns but i'm guessing that because it was in the depression and you know what was happening overseas with bonnie and clyde and you know all of the armed robberies that um that our authorities allowed bank staff to um you know to carry weapons so uh, mr young's fired twice and, and the, the robbers staggered out and collapsed and died on the ground. So Jeez, the police pretty, ident- pretty good shot seeing he'd just been hit, hit over the head with a steel well, bar. Well that, that's, that's right I mean he was, he did have to go to hospital he did he did suffer quite bad concussion but yeah um, I, I, I know that the first first shot he was able to, to fire reasonably point blank but um, had missed but it wasn't until he sort of fell back and, and let one over the um, the counter that he actually got the guy so he shot him without actually really seeing him and yeah the, the guy died so the police um, you know made some inquiries and um, managed to track down who he actually was so he was a, a young Australian chap called Oswald Colton who was aged 25 and, and this Mr. is the, Col- yeah, the would-be bank robber yes that's right yeah so the bank robber um, so Mr Colton was 25 and he he hailed from a, a well-to-do family in New South, rural New South Wales where they, they had a sheep farm. And he came over to New Zealand to work on a farm. And um, amongst the possessions found in his house was, was a bogus flying licence. And he, he, all, a lot of the people he had told he had these grand ideas of um, trying to get sponsorship to um, for finance to fly from England to Australia, trying to beat Charles Kingsford Smith's world record. Um, and he even went to the media to see if he could get sponsorship by selling his story. But it worked out that his pilot's licence was actually fake and it was it was um, fabricated during a time that he was he spent time in prison for fraud over in Sydney. So it wasn't a real um, pilot's licence. So there was and there was also a handwritten movie script called Scotland Yard that he had handwritten himself and it was about a bank robbery. So, you know, I, I don't know whether um, you know, he was trying to, you know, get into character for his for his movie um idea <laughs> or, or but he certainly on Quite the day that he Well, yeah, on the day he left to go to he left his landlady and who he owed money to and he went in and um said I'll I'll, I'll be back with some money so and he never came back. So so does it seem likely that Colton, the guy shot trying to rob the bank, was the same guy who'd killed Arthur Blomfield? Yeah, well, there's a lot of thought and a lot of speculation with that. Now, um, Blomfield's killer was allegedly about five foot nine. Uh, five foot nine, that's right. And um, Mr. Colton was only five foot five. So there is a, a little bit, bit of difference in height there, but certainly the other um, aspects to his character, like the brown hair and slim build, it certainly, um, that certainly does match. And also the, the, the main fact being that um, uh, Colton, Colton had wrapped a, a steel bar in a newspaper, and that's what he used to bash um, the, the um, Mr. Youngs at the bank with. And it's the same manner of of what he attacked Mr. Blomfield with, or or somebody attacked Mr. Blomfield with a steel bar. Perhaps I don't know whether it was wrapped in newspaper, but um, you know the the manner of which was very very similar. And as they looked into his um, past, his. Um he emerged as quite an interesting character and actually had a bit to do with the community. I think he was a rugby league player, uh, had impressed the various people who he had met and was, um, I've got this note here, immaculately groomed. This is the killer. Yeah, well, that, that's in fact how they, how the police were able to identify him. Like he was 
dressed in a in a, um, in a flash suit, and it got it was dry cleaned at the local um, barber's place, and so they there was a ticket in there, and the police went to the to the um, to the barber's place it was used as a drop-off point for dry cleaning and the barber said oh you look that's Mr Colton he comes in here about once a week and so Mr Colton you know he was immaculately groomed all the time and he, he came in for a haircut once a week you know the you know um, manicured fingernails so he was you know very a very neat person which um, it was probably an, um, an oddity for 1931 Auckland. So what's your gut? I mean, were there, first of all, were there any other suspects for that pharmacy uh, killing? No, there was nothing more. And, and certainly um, having a look at the reports, it seems that the police stopped their investigation into Blomfield's murder after um, the Colton um, incident. So I, I, I'm of the opinion that the police certainly then believed that Colton was the killer of, of Mr Blomfield. You know, for the same reason he went in to, to, to rob the safe. Um, the, the, there is a bit of a difference in that the, the, both the witnesses, the, shop, the, the fish and chip shop owner, well actually the fish and chip shop owner was shown a photo of Oswald Colton and he believed that he was the man that purchased fish and chips on the afternoon that Mr Blomfield was murdered. However, the fish and chip shop owner and uh, Mr um, Pollock, the customer, were adamant that the killer was dressed in a, in a, in a, in a blue suit, whereas... Um, there was no blue suit found in Mr. Colton's possession. He was he, he habitually, you know, dressed in a, either a grey suit or a uh, a fawn-coloured suit. Um, I mean, he could have he could have had a blue suit and disposed of it, but certainly um, the people who knew him would say that they've they've never seen him in a in a blue suit before. Hmm. So, what do you make of it? Oh, look, I th- it's it's difficult to say. Um, Part of me thinks that, yes, Colton was the killer, um, but then it, it could easily might not have been either. Um, certainly, as, as I mentioned before, a murder um, was a capital offence. So if it was, if, if the person who bludgeoned Mr Blomfield, um, and, and, and Mr Blomfield died, obviously, then this guy's sitting on a capital charge and he would be hanged. So uh, anybody would, would want to to do what they can to, to cover it up and go to ground. I don't think that the killer would be so brazen enough to go and commit another crime in broad daylight less than a month later. Thanks for listening to Crimes NZ with me, Jesse Mulligan, and thanks to Scott Bainbridge for sharing his research with us. Crimes NZ is produced by Melita Tull, Charlie Drever, Sam Hollis and Ayanna Piper-Helian. And thanks to Liz Garten and EP of Podcasts, Tim Watkin, for getting it out into the world of podcasts. Crimes NZ is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most other podcasting apps. Make sure you follow us to automatically get each episode as it drops. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.